This is the Straight Dope Podcast. I'm out on a recovery walk. It's kind of a gloomy day, and I've spent the last two days shooting rimfire and air guns with Ray from the X-Ring channel and Kenny from Desert Precision Gunworks. And the air gun was the Panthera 700. The 22 was a 22 that, that Kenny built with random ammo. And Ray put a video on YouTube or two, maybe three. And I, I, would, I just felt like the medium for YouTube, you say less, show more. And the medium for podcast, you say more and can't show anything. So I felt like it was worth a quick debrief on that preliminary assessment. Now, I got the air gun. I've been trying to learn ins and outs of it. It's something that I can shoot now, considering I'm getting close to the end of my rehab window physically. I can start shooting a little bit. I haven't shot a lot recently or for, for many, many months. But recently, I've been trying to work back in a few shots and think about it. So you don't care about that. You care about the how do they shoot? Would you do 22 or air gun? And, and that's an answer that's still kind of pending because one or two days of shooting, you don't get the, the data set that can make me feel comfortable anyway. But it raised a bunch of questions because on the video, what you're seeing is, you know, all of us shooting five shot groups at 50, 100, and then shooting at 200. I shot the Panther at 100 at Fort Morgan when we kind of zeroed it up and shot a good group. We played with the wind a little bit, and we noticed that it is very sensitive to wind. It's extremely sensitive to fundamentals. So the explanation is still kind of out there. You hear with the rimfire guys saying, well, the, the lag time and, and or the dwell time in the barrel allows you to practice your follow-through, and th- that might be the case, but I, I don't know if that's what's going on. I noticed that it's very sensitive to changes in your fundamentals, which is perfect for what I'm looking for because I'm using the air guns as a part of an assessment of a shooter to save those shooters, their center fire rounds, considering some of them are costing $2 a shot. If I could test you for free with my air gun, that'll save you having to shoot your gun if I know what it's testing and measuring based on what the rounds are doing on paper at various distances when we go back to your rifle, having identified those things, we could hammer out those techniques and get you better, faster, for cheaper. I think that's a pretty cool win. And, I, and I'm 100% convinced that that is exactly how I'm going to use it and that it, it's already proven its worth. But comparing side to side, the test that we did was on paper and at 50 yards, the... 22 out shot the air gun air gun's not tuned but neither is the 22 what what happens at 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 this 50 yard test group they're both small groups but clearly the 22 out shoots the air gun in that particular circumstance with all of us um one shot we hadn't filled the tank and then we filled it but the chamber i wasn't used to that you have to clear the chamber so the, the, the gas pressure on that first shot was off and that round went off and then the group went back in. And, and, and I think that uh, because it's so sensitive, 
you know, I was able to drive the air gun a little bit better because they, those guys hadn't shot the air gun before. I think that that's kind of how I feel about that. And I hadn't shot rimfire in a long time and they shoot it all the time. So their groups on the rimfire were better. Um, it's a testament to Kenny's gunsmithing. Yeah, I was really impressed. I, I was kind of skeptical because, you know, years ago I got a voodoo and it had feeding problems and the bolt stop broke and I just fucking threw the gun to the side and said, screw this. It's like, it's not worth it. You spend money on something you want to shoot right. But Kenny brought this brand new build out and it was like literally 0.3 or less. And I was like, well, shit, maybe, maybe I'll reconsider if, if, uh, if it's a custom build versus just something that, um, you know, is selling because of a, a name or something like that. But, but, uh, but anyway, the point here is at first it was, it was pretty hard to say. And I think it identifies something that's really important. And that is, um, you know, groups don't get better with distance, right? Just like bad news doesn't get better with time. Uh, uh, bad groups don't get better with distance, right? Good groups. The only option is they stay good or they get worse, but nothing gets better with distance. And I'm going to say that a couple more times because a lot of people say, well, you know, it just doesn't shoot at a hundred, but it shoots great at 200. If it shoots two inches at a hundred yards, there's no way it's going to shoot less than, than four inches at 200 yards. It's, that's, that's my stance. Now, if you're shooting three, three shot groups, like, yeah, of course you, you can find the one or two that happens to be smaller, but if a gun's a one inch gun at a hundred, it's a, you know, it's a two inch or, or, you know, the best case scenario, you know, if, if, if or I'm just going to say MOA or, or for, for at this point forward, regardless of the distance, if I say one inch, that means one inch at a hundred, three inches at 300. If it's a one inch gun at a hundred, it's a one inch gun at 300, which means that group is three inches. And I think that's close to impossible because as you reach out, ballistics and environmentals come in, but now we're talking about external ballistics, not the build of the rifle. So at 50 yards, what I think is we saw exceptional gunsmithing. Both had good groups. Clearly the gunsmithing made a difference at 50 yards. Can you tune the air gun to be, to be more precise? I'm sure you can. I don't know how. I haven't played with that yet. We haven't tuned it at all. It was good enough, right? They both maintained one inch accuracy, but we were seeing 0.3 accuracy. So clearly within that 0.3 and one, you could say, wow, at 50 yards, the rimfire outshot the air rifle in those circumstances with those shooters. So if we were shooting quarter inch um, piece, like they said that at the 22 matches, sometimes they have like these quarter inch targets at 50, 75 and a hundred. Well, probability wise, the rimfire would be able to hit those better than the air rifle. If we're saying, you know, the air rifle was, you know, 0.25 and the, I mean, the, the, the 22 was 0.25 and the air rifle was 0.6. It just, that just kind of makes sense because that group is going to be able to go off of that plate under perfect circumstances. But as we reached out with distance, what we saw is 
the air rifle was able to maintain that one inch standard and the 22 while the smithing was perfect we didn't have perfect ammo so what we started to see at least in my preliminary explanation is comparing and contrasting two different variables one of them was what i would say perfect ammo we had you know sds that were basically nothing with the air gun you know it's like it's like a thousand feet per second plus or minus a foot per second and the factory whatever they were ever able to bring that box of for the 22 it had never been shot before so it's a brand new barrel no rounds through it just random box of factory ammo and it shot tight up close but at distance that group started to open up well that has nothing to do with the build i don't think what i think that is showing is that if we're going to shoot at distance we need to control the variables of the ammo the external ballistics the speed the weight the sd uh the bc just like elr those guys they have great guns great guns great guns but they're not you know that's a given people that shoot long distance they really really go into the weeds with bullet weight bc and velocity differences because that is going to control how long the good equipment is able to maintain its standard of precision before the environment screws everything up right so what i think we were seeing at least to, to the up to the 200 yard mark was we could maintain a one inch standard with the air gun to 200 yards repeatedly consistently no matter what we could have a better than that standard up close with uh rimfire and it got progressively worse with distance but it still maintained that one inch standard so when we put a two inch plate at 200 yards we could hit it you know when we were doing those tests it was three for three three for three three for three and um continually and repeatedly nailed the two inch target uh, two inches so one moa um at 200 yards but when we looked at the paper, you could see that the air rifle was consistently at a particular MOA, like basically at one MOA from up close to 200 yards. And the rimfire opened up to do that one MOA mark at 200 yards. But at 200 yards, they were equivalently matched. I guess, you know, to make a short story really long, I think we were comparing, you know, two variables. We used the same optic. We used the same bipod. We used the same rear bag. We used as much of it that was the same as possible. And what we ended up showing was you can attack, depending on your goal and your distance, you can solve that problem in multiple ways, right? There's not one way to solve the problem. You can have a really precise am uh, rifle with poor ammo, and at a particular distance, it will match a less precise rifle with great ammo. But at some point, as you reach out, there's an inflection point, and we didn't get there. Now, my guess is, you know, it's right around 200 yards with that particular ammo combo. If we find better 22 ammo, um, it's going to be harder to do that because the BC of the air rifle slugs 
is about half of the BC of the 22 bullets. So with that BC um, drop, as we go out to distance, um, we're going to see the deviation of that ammo start to influence how it's able to maintain um, its trajectory externally. But <clears throat> some of the comments on their video were, you know, it's a bad tune, or, 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 you know, what you need to do is tune it at 200 yards, not 100 yards. And, and, and you know, I felt like, okay, I need to have a podcast here to say that at least for my current understanding of science and physics and shooting and ballistics, you, you can't have a group that's good at 200 yards be worse at 100 yards, right? It just can't physically, scientifically, it cannot happen, right? I mean, you can have movies or low round count or one group out of a hundred groups, <clears throat> maybe justify that, but, but we, we weren't seeing that. And I, I don't think that you could prove to me that your, your gun shoots worse at a hundred and better at 200. I think that nothing gets better with distance, right? Nothing is going to get better with distance. It's just not going to get worse as fast. Now, that sounds pretty pessimistic, um, and I can't even think of an optimistic way to say that, but, but if your rifle precision isn't there, it's not going to come back. But you could maintain that in a way that really outperforms, and that's why you know, I've always held the stance that right now, I mean, standards are constantly going up in different disciplines, but if you have a rifle you know, for a field match, and... I don't, I don't, it, you know, it's, it's hard to say because the calibers and the gunsmithing now, the standards are getting better and better and better. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you could find a dash or a BR that, that shoots an inch because dude, it's, I, I've hand loaded a lot and I can't really hand load a load that shoots an inch with a BR. You know, it's basically like a third, third of an inch to a half an inch, no matter what I do. So but but nevertheless, if you uh, a lot of the factory six five Creedmoor, I, I can put in a rifle and it'll shoot an inch, inch and a quarter. If you're shooting, let's say a five shot group prone, you know if you can shoot that three quarters of an inch, the equipment is precise enough and accurate enough and smithed well enough that it'll maintain those standards. So, I mean, granted, you you know, but I think statistically that's not going to change your hit probability over the course of a match. Personally, for a field match, probably for a PRS match, although the standards keep going up for, for PRS because they're fine-tuning how to separate those top guys. But I, I think that if, if – if I, I would have to make a guess here because, you know, I don't want the PRS freaking out like – the air gun guys did for this video. Um, I bet, I bet if I gave, you know, s somebody that was really good, let's say, you know, Morgan King, Chad Heckler, um, you know, whatever, uh, Austin Bushman, a gun that shot half an inch all the time with SD under 10, um, you know, they, they wouldn't hesitate and be able to go win a match. And, and that's just, you know, kind of where I'm at. Um, there's an inflection point, and I think it's just right around an inch where 
under an inch, your gains in hit percentage are very, very small. But what, so where you could make gains as a shooter in the discipline that you do is consider the variables other than ammo and rifle that could be contributing to that. Now, if you if your standard is one MOA, I like to just speak in general terms as one MOA as a standard. Um, you're probably shooting targets that are slightly bigger than one MOA. And what are the elements that contribute to that? As you got to distance, external ballistics become important, right? Wind, environment, BC, velocity differences. And, you know, we not going to get into the weeds, like those major components, knowing the distance, knowing the speed, knowing the drop, knowing the effects of wind are the variables that now you're being tested by. And my guess is, you're missing more because of those things than you know the quarter inch of precision that you might be able to burn a barrel out trying to get at, you know and and then so um what we're seeing here with some of the air gun guys is they're just looking at the the group sizes now we zoomed way in on these targets so it looks like the groups are, are pretty big but they're actually pretty small um and the standard deviation ballistic factor there is really fascinating to me. Like I, I was really blown away that the you can really get the standard deviation of that air rifle for like ten shots to be like one or two. And so, you know that that means that those you know depending on the BC variance, and I, I don't know anything about that, but at two hundred yards, a two inch circle, we, we just hit it over and over and over and over again. And um, you know, to me, that's a small thirty grain slug. Like to me, that seems pretty cool. Um, I don't do that kind of competition. I'd like to, I will explore it. I plan on getting a rifle from Kenny because rather than, you know, the, the shit experience that I had before, you know, it'd be nice to have a, uh, a rifle that is built in a way where, you, you know, you do the ammo testing, but I, but, but in terms of the accuracy and precision, um, you don't have to worry about that. So the variables that you're seeing are variables in your knowledge and comfort doing all the things other than trying to shoot a small group because you know the system can do that. So any variance in that is going to fall back on the shooter. I like that because I like the idea that if I measure you as a shooter or if I measure me as a shooter, I can get a snapshot and an understanding of your strengths and weaknesses based on what's the baseline of the system you're working with that's measured up close. And now once we have a good solid understanding of that close-up variance and that close-up precision, as we step you out, I can measure different variables knowing that we don't need to worry about the accuracy and precision, right? Is it the shooter or is it the external ballistics? Well, that, a lot of that stuff is measurable. It's isolatable. And so we can get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, if you hired me as a coach or you came to an assessment or you're just doing it yourself and logging it on a rifle craft, um, you're able to isolate those things and say, man, I really need to work on, you know, getting the angle of the wind down, or I really need to work on um, getting a more accurate range or uh, what, you know, what, whatever the variables are that you're falling apart with, as you stack out that understanding from close to far, you could really isolate that skill. And when you do that, you get better faster. Right. And, yeah. You don't spend as much money on ammo. You don't spend time shooting targets that are too big, getting hits, wondering why you're missing when you go to a competition. And the answer is the targets are half the size. And you never really understood that, that 
that variation was some other thing that you could have been training or, you know, whatever it is, it's different for everybody after you've isolated those individual components and the air rifle and the 22 right now for me, um, are two media that you can isolate and train specific skill sets with for, for cheap, right? The air rifle is basically free. For a thousand slugs or 2000 slugs. And I refilled that STBA tank yesterday and it was $12. So maintenance they don't have a barrel life. You just shoot them forever, I think. Uh, I learned some ins and outs. Episode where I talk about how it's things that you need to kind of know before. If you have to, if you have a big travel time to a range. You, you might end up going to the range and not being able to shoot it if you don't cover a few things first. And so I'm going to go through an episode where say like, don't just assume because you do center fire that you can take this air rifle and go to the range without checking off these other things that are different or unique to the air rifle. Um, cause we, we figured that out and, uh, and I'm going to put an episode out there, but I do think that it's totally viable. It's really cool. I'm excited to try some air rifle competitions. I don't think that you could compete neck and neck and have the same score of a rim fire with an air rifle from what I've seen. But I do think that, you know, somebody that's good with it could be in the upper 50%. You know, if, if you're really trying to be above that upper 50%, there's a lot of unknowns that I don't know, but I wouldn't feel comfortable saying you could take a Panthera to a 22 match and win it if there's a lot of good shooters shooting rimfire you know there's a ballistic advantage with the bc and the precision that a gunsmith can make a rifle versus a system that's put together with parts and then kind of tuned to maintain that whatever the system precision and accuracy is but having said that you know what we're seeing here is that if we're talking about one moa that one moa i bet you could extend out to I'm going to make a wild guess based on the data that I've seen to 200. And granted, at any point, as the external ballistics become bigger factors, it's going to cone out like, you know, the, like a trumpet, right? But, but we've seen a linear relationship so far with the air rifle in terms, in terms of, you know, it, it, the precision that I can shoot it, it maintains to 200, right? And so... Those apples to apples, I think, are important to compare. That the precision that I can shoot the air rifle at 50, I can maintain at 200. Okay, that's what I'm saying. The precision that I can shoot the 22, it, at 200, it's opened up a little bit. Um, that's not the gun, right? That's the rounds. And I think with the air rifle, what I'm seeing is it's the rounds expressing the capability that I can use that gun. At 300... Based on the speed that it's going, I bet I could um, keep it pretty close to that. As long as the winds aren't crazy, because the BC is half of it. You know, I'm not saying like, I don't care if it's windy. I care how much the wind shifts during the shooting, because 
I'm not so good that I can tell the difference inside of a two mile an hour shift while I'm shooting without seeing a round move. So the left and right variance that we see at 300 is going to be the basis of my ability to maintain the wind, right? But if we're looking at the vertical, I, I bet at 300, we could still have the same vertical as 200. Um, and then I guess with the rim fire, we'll need to get just ammo that has the ballistic properties that are closer to what we can do with the air rifle to, to match that because, um, you know, already at 200, we're seeing that it's opening up and that's just a, you know, manufacturing issue, right? I mean, it's the same thing with, with factory ammo. Like, um, I shoot a lot of factory ammo with center fire last, the last couple of years and, you know, a hundred yards, I can do half inch groups with 10 lots of Hornady and, but one of those lots had SDs under 15 and the rest of them were between 15 and 28 SD. So if we shoot those same half inch groups at a hundred yards and then a thousand yards, there's going to be huge differences in vertical that, that you could only see at distance. And so with the 22, we need to get ammo that has better SDs. Um, and uh, we, did, we didn't do that because we only had one lot. So anyway, now I'm rambling. until the other factors start coming in so let's worry about those other factors um you know at the time and place that it's important and if you're shooting inside a distance that doesn't matter then it doesn't matter but I, you know testing ammo how do you so i guess maybe what, what i could hear people maybe asking some people asking as well you know if you develop a load at 100 yards you know is it going to shoot great at 800 who knows right it's not it's not going to shoot better at 800 than it did 100 but if you if you test it at 800, that'll tell you um, if an external ballistic characteristic showed itself. And so I wouldn't ever go to a competition without testing my ammo at or just past the max distance to maintain its ballistic properties there. So, you know, when people say, well, I developed my load at 600 yards, that's cool. Um you know, it's not going to get worse as you get inside of 600, but if you shoot past 600, you don't know what it's going to do necessarily. I mean, you know, obviously we, we could make a wild guess and, and most of us could guess pretty well, uh, depending on how far you're going to shoot. But if I was going to shoot 2000 yards and I developed a load at 600 yards, I couldn't tell you how it's going to perform at 2000. I would want to shoot it at 2021 and see how it performs, you know, especially because at those distances, there are a lot of factors that don't show their heads um, for, for a while. And you kind of want to be able to wrap your heads around that. Right. And so, you know, if, I, if I'm going to go to a match and it's a thousand yards and in, you know, I might do a paper test at 1100 yards just to make sure nothing crazy is showing up somewhere between point A and point B that you can only account for externally. Um, but, but it never works the other way around. You know, if I shoot a one MOA group at a thousand yards and I say, okay, it's a one MOA gun, but for some reason at 200 yards, it's two MOA. Like that doesn't make sense. Like that, that's just not, that's not possible. I could think of circumstances 
that you could actually see that. Like you, you didn't understand how to adjust parallax. And now you've added an MOA because your reticle and your head position shifted and you're, you're not really aiming where you think you're aiming. And now your group gets big. I could see that. Um, I could see something's loose and you shoot a big group. I could see, you know, if you laid prone to shoot a thousand and then you got up and did kneeling and standing at 200, that it would be bigger. But, but those are all things that have nothing to do with the ammo and the rifle necessarily it has to do with the shooter and their understanding of the system. Right. And, and that's the kind of stance that I'm going to maintain here. But anyway, hopefully this was kind of a good intro to that. We're going to keep doing it. I don't feel comfortable with any sort of conclusive results. So this is all my uh, hypothesis based on this anecdotal evidence of we've been shooting it. We've been collecting data. I've been looking at different shooters and myself using these two different systems. I see competency and familiarity with systems being a big factor. I see ammo and ballistics being a big factor. And I see gunsmithing and precision being a factor. And those are all different conversations. And when they overlap, people get upset. And I think the air rifle is badass. And if you are really into fundamentals and you have enough disposable income to invest in a trainer that, you know, is two, two to $3,000 worth of equipment and then virtually free and you want it quiet and that stuff, the air rifle could do a lot for you. It doesn't help you work on recoil management. It doesn't help you spot impacts at a thousand yards. It doesn't help you with a lot of things but it does provide you an affordable and consistent training tool. Rim buyers, you know, same thing. Like it's pretty cheap to get ammo. The investment price for the rifle is pretty much the same. Uh, we were using apex scopes and I, I don't know anything about them. I would say the glass on those was not perfectly ideal in the conditions we were shooting because at a hundred yards, I was having trouble spotting the paper holes and I would have to like, you know, if I got on the night force, I could see him clearly. If I got on the loophole, I could see him clearly. But in the conditions that we were shooting in, which is a little more humid than normal, with a storm coming in, it was a little fuzzy seeing those holes at 100 yards on paper. Um, and I don't know enough about that optic to say, you know, one thing or another. But, but I also think that... Um, you know, that was an isolated and controlled variable. So, so could you tune that up a little bit with a different, different scope maybe, but, but because we didn't, we had them on the same or the same scopes on, on both rifles to kind of neutralize that and take out that variable. We needed high scope rings because the air gun requires high scope rings. The magazine comes in from the top and um, you can't have a single piece and you can't have short scope rings or the magazine hits the tube of the scope, but I'll get into that stuff later with a air rifle specific podcast about the ins and outs of it and the parts. And I might start to do some more videos here pretty soon. Uh, Ray at the X ring channel is kind of uh, giving me some tips that he uses. And then, you know, I've, I've worked with Frank and Frank's great at videos also. And so I might start uh, doing a little bit more of that, but I want to get a straight dope episode out at least to just to say like, you know, go to the X-Ring and watch that video if you want to. Um, you know, it's, it's not high round counts. It's not conclusive, but I think it, it highlights a few variables rather than the shooting or rather than the equipment that you see some people get bent out of shape a little bit about because they're comparing different variables 
in a similar task. And I think that's all we showed with this is that you can solve a problem from these different variables. But when push comes to shove, if we're going to compare them, we're comparing different techniques, right? You can get really strong and run fast, or you can, you know, get a lot of endurance and run really far. And at some point their abilities overlap. And so I think we're comparing the person that tries to get really strong and the tries the person that tries to get a lot of endurance at an inflection point, but we need to make sure that we're honest and we're aware of the fact that these two systems are capitalizing on two different elements that we see in shooting, right? Consistency of ballistics and consistency of gunsmithing. And as both go up, we're seeing these different systems arrive in the same competitions, but without understanding that we're comparing slightly different variables with the same ruler. This is where I jump in to say that if you go to rivalcraft.com and get a subscription, you get added metrics to your profile on the website, which can help you get better, more accurate information about your shooting that you could use to propel your training and understanding of your shooting forward. You get emails, subcoms, emails with training targets, ideas, and uh, product discounts as they come about. And you get access to another podcast just like this called The Subcast, where I continue to ask experts and talk about details just like the Riflecraft straight dope podcast but there's more of it so you get double the content i try to be much more specific so um you're just gonna have to subscribe if you want more and don't if you don't i know there's a lot of podcasts out there and they all cover the same topics i've got my own style if you like my style and you want more of it that's a really good way to do it you don't have to but it sure helps promote and ensure that this podcast continues to operate the way it does. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. More content, more interviews, more specifics, more ideas for your training, and you're supporting it all as a subscriber with the benefits that come from it. So go check it out at riflecraft.com, get a subscription, and join the growing tribe of people who are trying to empower themselves by learning and experimenting and driving their skill and knowledge to the next level. Thank you.